After you place your marker there, take your Bibles out and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, if you want to, go ahead and place a marker there because we'll be flipping back and forth through the book of Proverbs quite a bit in our lesson this morning. Once again, it is so great to see everyone here. We do have visitors with us. We're grateful that you've come our way. We hope that you'll come back any chance you have to come and worship with us. This morning, we're going to be continuing a series of sermons we started uh, last year looking at lessons from Proverbs. If you remember, in our first lesson, we kind of went over a general understanding of what a proverb is. We talked about a definition of the word. We talked about the, the meaning behind it, why it was written, who wrote it. And so we just did kind of a background information on the book of Proverbs. In our last lesson, we looked at wisdom. Proverbs tells us that wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is one of the main reasons why this book is written. Well, if wisdom is the main reason, then what we're going to study this morning is probably the next two reasons why Proverbs is written. This morning, I want us to consider the idea of knowledge and instruction that we see here in the book of Proverbs. As we like to do, and as I do so much in my sermons, let's just ask ourselves, well, what are knowledge? What are knowledge and instruction? You know me, I love to go to the dictionary. I love to define words. And so if you look up knowledge, knowledge is defined as facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. And I think that's really important for us to understand. When we're talking about knowledge, we're not talking about our own personal feelings. Knowledge is not based upon feelings. Knowledge is not based upon our whims. No, knowledge is based upon facts, information, and skills. That's going to be important as we come back to it a little bit later on. When we think about uh, instruction, instruction is defined as detailed information telling how something should be done, operated, or assembled. You know, I love to build things. I love Legos. I love all those kind of things. You know, I always say Legos are for kids. No, they're for everybody. I love playing with Legos. You can ask my kids, one of the things that I am a stickler for is following the instructions. In fact, whenever my kids get a Lego set, they can't stand it because I keep telling them, if you lose a piece, that's it. You know, if you lose a piece, then that means we can't follow the instructions anymore. And so just, just go do whatever you want to. It's not going to look like the picture, right? I want it to look like the picture. I like following instructions. Well, instructions by themselves imply that there was somebody who wrote them that knows better how to do something, right? Instruction and knowledge, they go hand in hand, and really they go hand in hand with wisdom as well. As you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, and let's just read the first seven verses here. And as we go through this, notice how many times the references are made to knowledge, to wisdom, and to instruction. Starting at verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
How many times in these verses, I didn't count, maybe you did, did we see references to wisdom, instruction, and knowledge? They all go hand in hand. They all build upon one another. And so this morning, we're going to focus specifically on knowledge and instruction. I find it kind of interesting in a different writing from from Solomon over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember, the whole point of Ecclesiastes is that the writer is trying to find purpose. He's trying to find something to fulfill himself in. He's tried money. He's tried wealth. He's tried fame. He's tried all of these different things to find fulfillment, and he can't find it. Well, you come to the last chapter, and he finds it. He understands what the purpose of man is. In chapter 12 and verse 13, notice what Solomon writes here in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. You know, of all the things that he's looked at in the previous 11 chapters, let's look at the conclusion. He says this, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Solomon understands that for man to find purpose in his life, we need to fear God and do what he says. That is what Solomon says is man's all. That is the purpose that we should strive for. Now, keeping that in mind, it's interesting when you go back to Proverbs and we see more verses relating this idea of the fear of the Lord. Remember, Solomon in Ecclesiastes says man's all is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Let's look back to Proverbs now. Go to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, and notice what it says starting in verse 31. He says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that, look, man's all is to fear God and keep his commandments. Here in Proverbs, he tells us that the fear of the Lord, we get that from instruction. Instruction helps us understand the fear of God. It helps us in knowing how to respect and honor him. Let's go back to chapter 1. We've already read this verse, but let's read it again. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice here in verse 7, Solomon tells us that the fear of the Lord brings knowledge. Remember, man's all is to fear God and keep his commandments. Well, we need instruction. We need knowledge. Can you guess what else there is? Look over in Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 and in verse 10, the wise man says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Notice how Solomon interchanges all three of these ideas, instruction, knowledge, and wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he said, this is man all. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, how do we do that? Well, the fear of the God brings instruction, it brings knowledge, and it brings wisdom. 
All three of these things are so tightly combined. What we see from the book of Proverbs is that if we want to live God the way that God demands us to live, if we want to be pleasing to him, then we must have wisdom, we must have knowledge, and we must have instruction. All three of those things work so closely together. And if we want to be pleasing to him, if we want to follow him the way that he demands then we have to have all three of these things. We've already talked about wisdom, so this morning we're going to focus on knowledge and instruction. We're going to ask ourselves the question, well, why is it so important? Why are knowledge and instruction so important? And we really could have used that last point, right? If we want to be pleasing to God, we have to have these things. Well, be that as it may, let's think about this a little bit more in the book of Proverbs. Remember last time we talked about wisdom, how many times wisdom is used in the book. It's interesting, the word knowledge, at least in the New King James Version, it occurs 42 times in the book of Proverbs. 42 times the word knowledge is used in Proverbs. Instruction is used 23 times. So this is a word, or these two words are repeated quite a bit throughout the book of Proverbs. Why is it important? One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 12 and verse 1. Because notice how the wise man describes a person without wisdom and without instruction. Proverbs 12 and verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. There again, they're tied together, right? You have to join them together. He who hates correction is stupid. Are we stupid? I can remember years ago, Brother Lowell Salee, who we're going to have, Lord willing, in June, he was telling a story one time when he was preaching a sermon, and he said something was stupid in his sermon. And after church, somebody, a little kid came up to him and said, you said a bad word. You know, you're not supposed to say stupid. And he said, well, you know, the Bible calls things stupid, so why can't I call things stupid? The Bible doesn't call many things stupid. The Bible doesn't use that word a ton. In fact, a lot of times it could be translated foolish. But here in the New King James, and I think in the English Standard as well, and I think maybe the New American Standard too, it is translated, he who hates correction is stupid. If you don't love instruction, if you don't love knowledge, you're stupid. That's the way the Bible describes it. You're foolish. You're not smart. You're not intelligent. You're not using what God has given you. You're stupid. To go on and, and kind of reiterate this point a little bit more, look over back in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. Solomon says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. The wise man makes the point here and says that, look, if you don't follow instruction, if you don't do what God has told you to do, if you're not following the way that he wants you to follow, he says it's going to lead to death. If you're not following instruction, it leads to death. Looking out of Proverbs, let's go to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, and, and God makes a very 
strict point here about the need for knowledge, for knowing who God is, knowing how to, how to serve Him and how to follow properly. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, God makes the statement, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge is the reason why His people are being destroyed. He says, Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Are we lacking knowledge? Are we lacking instruction? The wise man tells us if you don't have instruction, you're going to perish. God tells his people if you don't have knowledge, you're going to be destroyed. Why are they important? Because God says they're important. Because through knowledge and through instruction, we know we learn who God is. We learn how to serve Him. We learn what He wants us to do. We learn to apply wisdom and do what He says. So how do we get knowledge? How do we get instruction? You know, just like wisdom, last time we talked about how there's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. Where we get knowledge matters. Because if we want to sit there and say that we get knowledge from ourselves, we have to be careful with that. Because man's knowledge is imperfect. Man's understanding, man's knowledge is imperfect. Man doesn't know it all. As much as we as a, as a society, we as a people, we like to think that we know it all, we don't. Man's knowledge is imperfect. I'll give you a couple of examples. Until about 1609, the majority of people believed that the earth was the center of the universe. 1609 is when Galileo, probably heard that name before, right? He was the one that really first emphasized the idea that, no, the earth was not the center of the universe. It was really the sun. And it's not just the universe. It is the center of our galaxy. The sun. Heliocentric, not geocentric. If you remember history, his teachings weren't really accepted very well. Because at that time, the Catholic Church's position was that, yes, the earth was the center of the universe. And so Galileo had to go before the Roman Inquisition. He had to answer a bunch of questions. And he was threatened with excommunication because of his teachings that, oh, the sun is the center of the universe. Well, mankind knew that the earth was until they found out something different. In 1898, up until 1898... Scientists believe that the atom was the smallest particle. It's interesting, if you ever go and study it, the word atom is actually Greek. And the literal definition of atom is not cuttable. In other words, people thought that the atom was the smallest, nothing could be smaller. And so until 1898, everybody taught that the atom was the smallest particle that could ever exist. Until they realized, oh, you know, there's actually other things smaller. There's protons and electrons. Even today, if you go and read, read about some of the, some of the uh, research that people are making, they're even finding smaller particles now. It's amazing how until 1898, man's knowledge said, no, the atom is the smallest thing. Well, no, there's, there's smaller things now. 
1920, man had the idea that the universe was stagnant. The universe was constant. It wasn't expanding. It wasn't changing. Until 1920, this was the prevalent thought. Yes, people had put forth theories and ideas, but nothing could be proven until about 1920 when a man by the name of Hubble, you should recognize that name, right? The Hubble Telescope. Now, he wasn't the only one, but he is probably the most prominent, prominently remembered person who put this forward. And they were able to prove through observation that, no, the universe is not constant. In fact, the universe is expanding. Now, you look at these things, and I'm not bringing these up to, to demean science. I think a lot of times we as a people have a really bad notion that you can either be religious or you can be scientific. You know, so many people want to say that religion and science, they contradict each other, right? They're at odds with one another. I don't believe that at all. I don't bring this up to sit there and say, look how silly scientists are. Look how ridiculous it is to think. That's not the point. I think it's amazing that we're constantly learning new things. That's what science is, right? The scientific method. You propose an idea, you go test it, and then you find out you were right or you were wrong. Okay, then you're going to change and you're constantly learning. I think it's amazing that we're constantly learning new things about our planet, about our bodies, about how everything works together. It's amazing. But see, where science would sit there and say, well, well, look at how far we've come, I would sit there and say, look at how amazing God's creation is. See, I think that's where the difference is. But I don't bring this up to sit there and say that science is ridiculous, that, that you shouldn't be a scientist, you shouldn't want to learn things. That's not it at all. The point that I am trying to make is man cannot rely on their own knowledge of things by themselves. Man cannot say, well, I've learned everything. I know everything because our knowledge is not perfect. I think that per passages like Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our understanding of this world is nothing you know, yes, we have learned a lot of things, and I think it's amazing that we've done that. But understand that God tells us, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think that you've got it all figured out. Don't think that you know everything because you don't. Whereas man's knowledge is imperfect, understand that God's knowledge is perfect. We know what Genesis 1-1 says, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who better to know about this world than the one who created it? Who will know better how things work? Who will know better how it functions than the one who created it all? Everything was created. Everything was designed God says, I know how it works. We were talking about Job this morning, and I want to go to Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. We, we, we know the story of Job. A man who had a blessed life. He had a lot. And one day he loses it all. He loses all of his possession. He loses his family. A little bit later on, he loses his health. He goes from having it all to having nothing. And Job's three friends come, and they don't even recognize him at first. And they just cry, and they're sitting there with him. 
And the whole discourse between Job and his friends, Job just wants to know why. You know, Job just wants to know why this happened. Job just says, kind of just in a very simplistic term, I want a day in court. I just want to go before God. I want to present my case. I just want to know why. Well, his friend, his good friends are there. It's like, well, we know why this has happened. Job, you must have done something awful. Job, you want to know why this has happened? You sinned. If you would just repent, everything would be great. And of course, we know Job didn't. This wasn't because Job had done something that made God mad at him or anything like that. And so Job is defending himself. Well, finally, in chapter 38, God answers. Remember, Job said, I want an answer. I want my day in court. Here comes God. And in verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Isn't that interesting the way God starts that? Who are you to darken counsel? You do not have knowledge. Does that mean that Job was ignorant? No. But compared to God, he had nothing. Let's drop down to verse uh, 4. Let's, yeah, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I bring this specific passage up because I think it's interesting how God says, fastened, you know, all the stars, fastened the foundations of the world together. You know, that was a question that, that blew people's minds trying to think, well, how, how did the planet stay aligned? Why does the earth, you know, follow this particular, you know, day, day cycle and night cycle? You know, how, how does it just stay there? Well, of course, now we understand it's through gravity, Right. Well, you know, gravity, the, the, the law of gravity wasn't really proven until when? Around the 17th century. Heard of a man by the name of Isaac Newton, right? Isn't it amazing how for millennia people wondered how in the world this happened? And God said, I fastened the foundations. I'm the one who did that. God is the one who put all of this together. God understands more than man can ever think to understand. Now think about passages like Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my ways are not your ways, says the Lord, nor my thoughts your thoughts. You know, God is so much higher than we are. His understanding is so much greater than ours. God's knowledge is perfect. He understands this world. He understands how it works. You could go on and read the rest of the book of Job and, and God just asked Job, you know, if you think you can do it better, try it. If you really think that you could do better and, and, and do it in a better way or, or any, you know, if you think you know better, try it. You know, I love this couple of chapters later where Job just says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. You know, I'm just going to be quiet. You know, I'm not going to say another word because God puts Job in his place. God never does tell Job why the bad things happened. But he does remind Job that God is in control. That God knows. And that should be enough for us. I think our curiosity sometimes gets the best of us. But sometimes we just have to accept it. Sometimes we just have to look at it and say, yes, God does know best. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. 
God understands more than we do. He knows more than we do. Understand that man's instructions are imperfect. Man's instructions are imperfect. It's interesting how many times you go through the book of Proverbs. And remember, Proverbs is written as like a father to a son. And how many times the wise man says, My son, listen to the instruction of your father. Listen to the instruction of your mother. Listen to their instructions. Paul reiterates that point in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, does he not? Children, obey your parents. But Paul adds a little caveat there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. What does that tell us? We as parents, I believe that we always have the best intention. We, we want our kids, we want the, what's best for our kids. We want to teach them what's true. Have you ever taught them something that later you found out wasn't true? Have you ever gave them an instruction and then come to find out, oh, well, your mother says something different or the father said something different? It happens all the time. It's interesting as you go on in Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know one of the best ways to, to make children angry? Give them conflicting directions. Give them conflicting directions. Tell them one thing, but then a minute later tell them to do something completely opposite. That just, that's just frustrating. We as people, even when we had the best intentions, our instructions aren't always the best. They're not always clear. You know, think about this at work, right? Have you ever been talking to somebody and you get a, get a task and you think, okay, well, I understand what this task is. And you go and you start trying to work on it and you realize I have no clue what this task is. Whether it be because the person explaining it didn't explain it clearly enough, you know, whether the documentation wasn't there, every engineer in here is going, ugh, you know, not enough documentation, right? Whatever the case is, the instructions weren't clear enough or they weren't good enough, they weren't robust enough. You know, we have all these really nice words, right? What it's really saying is the instructions stunk. You know, it didn't help me. That's kind of the way man can mess things up, is it not? Look over in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah understands this about us, about people. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Mankind has always wanted to give ourselves the instructions we want to follow. We've always wanted to change things and we wanted to make things easier, you know, whatever the case is. But God says no. Jeremiah tells us it's not in man to direct his own steps. Mankind doesn't get to write the instruction booklet for life. Mankind doesn't get to sit here and say, well, I think I know better. Man's instructions are imperfect. Well, we know where this is going, right? God's instructions are perfect. His directions, His way of doing things, they're always perfect. We're not going to take time to read this psalm this morning, but we know what Psalm 19, 7 through 10 says, don't we? I bet you if I start it, even if you don't recognize it immediately, I bet you, I bet you will know it. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
that's one of those passages, whenever you start reading it, I always want to sing it. <laughs> you know, I'm so used to singing the song, right? We understand that. God's laws, God's ways, they're perfect. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Isn't that interesting? All Scripture is there to instruct us. God expects us to grow in knowledge. Do you remember 2 Peter chapter 1 where Peter is going through what we often call the Christian graces? When he talks about the things that we need to grow and we need to add upon, starting in verse 5, he says, Add to your faith virtue, and then to virtue, knowledge. And then knowledge, self-control, and he goes on. God expects us to grow in knowledge. God expects us to keep his commandments. John 14, 15, a passage we, we quote so much, but it's such a pivotal verse. Jesus tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, the way that Jesus could have said that is keep my instructions. Because commandments and instructions, they're, they're very close. Jesus is saying, do what I say. Do what God has told us to do. You need knowledge and you need instruction. Take out your psalm book and turn to the number that Brother Greg selected. God truly does want everyone to come to the knowledge of truth. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 Paul writes and says that God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's what God wants. He wants us to gain knowledge of truth. He wants us to gain knowledge from Him. But He recognizes that not everybody will. 2 Thessalonians 1, starting at verse 7, Paul writes and says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those, those who have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be those who do not know God. Remember what Hosea said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If we truly love God, then we're going to do what He says. We're going to follow the instructions. We're going to do exactly what He says, when He says it, how He says it. We're going to obey. This morning I want to end with two questions. Are we growing in knowledge? Are we getting smarter? Remember, smarter is the opposite of stupid, right? Are we getting smarter when it comes to God? Understanding who He is, learning more about Him, coming to a better appreciation for what He's done for us. Are we growing in knowledge? And then are we doing things God's way or are we doing them man's way? Remember how I said that man doesn't get to write the instructions on life? God does. God does get to write that. He's given us free will. He's given us the ability to take this, to discern it, to learn it. And it's up to us to whether we do it or we don't.
Remember, James talks about the idea of a man who looks in the perf- perfect law of liberty and then immediately walks away and he forgets what kind of man he is. Let that not be us. Let us look into the perfect law of liberty, see what God would have us to do, and do it. This morning's lesson, it hasn't been geared to those that, who aren't Christians. We haven't talked about how to become a Christian. We haven't talked about the need for baptism. But I hope we understand that if God has told us how to do something, we have a choice. We can either do it God's way or we can refuse. And Acts chapter 8 is such a beautiful story of the Ethiopian eunuch. How sad would it have been if the Ethiopian eunuch had not said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What if he had said, I don't understand why water is necessary. I don't understand what the big deal is about being dunked in water. Why can't I just be saved without that? That's not what he did. Philip preached Jesus to him, and he came to the conclusion... See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? This morning, if there's things in your life that are separating you from God, if there are things that are causing a rift, causing, causing a, a lack of knowledge or a lack of following instruction, whatever the case is, if you're here this morning and you need help, we're here. We want to help. We're going to talk, sing just a little bit about the great physician. That's who Jesus is. Jesus can heal us if we let him. So this morning, if there's anyone here that's subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song?